Hello, uh, it's Jeff Cohn from the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is David Fischel. And David's the CEO of Stereotaxis. And for those not familiar, um, David, tell us a little bit about the company. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, so Stereotaxis is a, is a leader in robotic surgery. Uh, we're focused on a specific niche of um, of, uh, of surgeries. Uh, our, our technology at its core allows a physician to navigate an interventional catheter with greater precision and greater stability and greater safety. And, um, and, and we specifically right now focus on treating patients that are suffering from arrhythmias where the heart doesn't beat regularly. And, um, and our technology is a platform from which we can navigate catheters for a broader range of clinical applications. Um, the company has been around for quite some time. Uh, we, uh, we have over 100 hospitals using our system. We've treated over 100,000 patients with our technology. Uh, we have a, a recurring revenue base uh, from our installed uh, systems that, uh, that funds our business. And, um, and it's a company that's going through a, a, almost a second uh, new life. Uh, the company has an interesting backstory. About three years ago, uh, I joined the company uh, as part of a, a, a recapitalization and rehabilitation and re rebuilding process, and, um, and we're now in the midst of that rebuilding. Oh, great. So, so I'm out here in the Santa Barbara area, and we have a company that sounded similar but did phenomenally well, uh, Intuitive Surgical which I'm sure you're familiar with, but are, are you yes. competitive with them or, or are they complementary or, or how, do you, how do you and they fit in, in the overall competitive uh, landscape? So, yeah, so we're, we're not competitive at all, but actually as an interesting backstory, um, about 20, almost 20 years ago now, I think in 2000, um, and my parents who, who are physician scientists that also uh, moved towards the financial world and, and started a hedge fund uh, focused on the life sciences called Daphne Capital. Uh, they visited Santa Barbara in around the 2000 time frame, uh, met with uh, Bob Duggan, who was the CEO of a company called Computer sure. Lotion at the time, uh, in a garage in Santa Barbara, and, um, and invested in the company. And that was a few months before the merger of, uh, of Computer Motion and Intuitive Surgical. And, uh, and obviously, uh, at that point, both Computer Motion and Intuitive Surgical were struggling, and the rest is history. Intuitive Surgical uh, kind of leveraging a lot of computer motions technology uh, ended up becoming uh, probably the most successful medical device company of the last two decades um, and has really revolutionized um, uh, surgery. They're, they're really the leaders in robotics uh, for surgery broadly. Um, if you think about, though, the uh, Da Vinci system, it is, uh, it is a system that really improves laparoscopic surgery with robotics. And if you think about surgery in a broad, in a broad uh, sweep, you can classify all surgeries into three broad buckets. Open surgery, where you have kind of a large open incision, direct visualization of the, of the operating theater. Uh, the physician's hands are to some extent uh, kind of touching the surgical area. You have laparoscopic surgery, where you have a few kind of smaller incisions, and you use almost kind of functional sticks, uh, laparoscopic sticks, uh, to do the surgery. And then you have endovascular surgery. And endovascular surgery uses the endovascular system, the blood 
vessels throughout the body as a means to access the surgical site. Typically, you have an incision, a small incision in the upper leg, access a vein or an artery through, uh, through that small incision, and then you kind of steer a catheter through the vascular system to the heart or to the brain or to whichever other part of the body requires therapy, and, and you deliver that therapy through the tip of the catheter. So we are focused on that last, on endovascular surgery and navigating catheters in a, in a more precise uh, way through the body. Intuitive surgical is focused and, and has really revolutionized laparoscopic surgery. So I, I don't see us as competitors at all. We're, we're really kind of both trying to improve um, different clinical spaces. Very good. And, and so is what you do proprietary or, or just know-how? So, so we are uh, we are by far the leader, and and we have uh, the most elegant approach to robotics in endovascular surgery. There were a few other companies that have kind of operated in our uh, in in kind of other endovascular uh, uh, clinical applications uh, with different approaches, uh, but we're by far the leader. Our our approach to navigating catheters relies on. If you think about a manual catheter, the, the mechanistic challenge is that a physician is holding onto the catheter handle near, let's say, the patient's leg, near the access site, and the surgery is actually taking place three, four, five feet away from, uh, from the handle of the catheter because the catheter is kind of like a long straw uh, twisting and bending throughout the vascular system, and the actual therapy is delivered at the tip, whether the therapy is delivery of a stent or, or, or implantation of a valve or, uh, or deployment of uh, a coil in an aneurysm, or uh, aspirating out a clot, or in our case, when we treat arrhythmias, ablating parts of the heart muscle tissue in a very fine fashion to isolate the misbehaving heart muscle cells. The, the therapy is delivering at the tip, but the control that the physician has is only at the handle. So how do they, how do they kind of control the tip from the handle in a manual uh, endovascular surgical procedure, there's kind of two physical properties of catheters that allow them to do so. One is the catheter is relatively rigid, and that rigidity allows translation of force from the handle to the tip. And the second is that there's little wires. You can, they're called pull wires, but you can almost think about them as puppet wires uh, from the tip to the handle so that with kind of a, a knob at the handle, the physician can deflect the tip and they can do one deflection. Stereotexas, that, so, that kind of overall, is a, yeah? No, no, go on, please. So overall, it's a beautiful mechanism, but there's all sorts of limitations and risks and challenges to that mechanism of action. If a physician turns the handle 90 degrees, the tip's not going to turn 90 degrees. It might turn 30 degrees or 100 degrees. There's going to be all sorts of translation errors from kind of that handle till the three, four, five feet till the tip um, that just take place because of the, the distance. And, and, and it's not a perfectly rigid catheter. If the catheter was perfectly rigid, you would have perfect translation of, of, of motion, but then it would obviously be, be completely unsafe uh, in the body. And you have limited uh, stability of the tip. If, it doesn't matter if, if you're gardening with a gardening hose and you're not holding on to the tip of the gardening hose where the water comes out, but you're holding four feet back. It doesn't matter how hard you hold on at that point, the tip's going to still be unsteady and is going to wobble. Um, you can get the catheter to deflect, but you can't make it do one turn onto another turn onto another turn because the pull wires, the puppet wires, just don't allow that to happen. And you need the catheter to be rigid, but with that rigidity comes risk, particularly in delicate anatomy. And so 
so kind of those are some of the limitations to, to traditional catheters, which Stereotaxis has addressed. And we've, we've addressed it by, by taking a normal catheter and making three slight modifications. So one is we make the plastic all along the catheter shaft very soft and gentle. Two is we take out the pole wires entirely. And then third is we put tiny, a tiny magnet in the tip of the catheter. And now our robotic system actually entails larger magnets in the operating room on both sides of the patient's shoulders that are computer controlled, controlled by a physician who's seated at a computer workstation. And by adjusting the external magnets and the magnetic fields that they generate, we can actually control the magnet direct, the, the catheter directly from the tip. So we're now, it's as if we're holding onto the tip of the catheter with invisible tweezers and moving it directly from the tip. So are you finding, in terms of applications, um, are doctors themselves coming up with new applications for this and expanding your, your overall market? So, so that's actually something that is difficult uh, to do and, and not really possible for doctors to do on their own, unlike uh, perhaps in laparoscopic surgery where if you have a basic set of tools, physicians can experiment. In our case, the, the real uh, important therapeutic device at every point is the interventional catheter itself and what what kind of tool or what tip is on the on the edge of the interventional catheter allows it to do different things and so while the robotic system is uh, is able to now navigate any interventional device uh, that would have magnets at its tip right now the only approved and commercial interventional device is an ablation catheter which allows you to deliver kind of RF radio frequency energy to the tip. And so that's really limited at this point to treating arrhythmias. Um, over time, as we want to allow physicians to, to experiment with the benefits of, of magnetic navigation of interventional devices, kind of developing interventional devices that have broader use and that can be used by physicians in a range of therapeutic applications, that would be an elegant approach. Okay. And what, what's the regulatory pathway? Is it a simple 510K uh, or, or what? So our robotic system has been approved under a 510K pathway. Um, interventional devices, it depends on the device itself. Something like an ablation catheter is a, is a PMA. Um, there are other devices uh, that, let's say, like a guide wire, for example, that are, uh, I believe, typically 510Ks. Um, and, and or have have a have a fairly uh, light regulatory path uh, to to kind of to to overcome, and so it depends a little bit on the interventional device. If you have a device though that is directly delivering the therapy, that's that should be typically of PMA. Okay, well, it, it sounds like what you're doing is good for everybody, um, but I, I want to focus on on how we make money. Um, you know, are you selling this just just in the U.S. or, or, or globally? No, we sell globally. We are over, we have over 100 active um, hospital customers globally. Uh, about two thirds of those are in the U.S. Uh, about a third in uh, in Europe, and kind of it's a little bit less than that. We have uh, we have about 10 in Asia. And, and in terms of a hospital's needs, you know, is, will one machine suffice, or, or do you get a sale of multiple machines? Right now, other than one site uh, in France that has two clinical machines, uh, all of our hospital customers only have one, uh, one, one robot. Is that because they're just getting used to it, or could they use more? 
they could use more, and there are some that are considering now a second machine. So uh, we just launched, um, uh, kind of, we just announced a, a newest robotic system uh, earlier this year, and uh, we're in the process of preparing for a fuller launch of that. And um, and there are some hospitals that are considering having um, having a second robotic lab uh, as that comes out. So what what kind of a capital expenditure is it, and, and what's the length of the sales cycle? So our revenue model is very similar to an intuitive surgical. We sell a capital equipment um, for kind of that, generally that mid one, uh, one to two million dollar range. Um, we're now actually offering our robotic system as part of a full robotic lab suite that would also include uh, the fluoroscopy system and table, operating table and boom and large screen displays. And so that would take that price a little bit higher. But, uh, but generally what you would see is that a robotic system would be sold uh, for about $1.5 million. Um, then we have a recurring revenue stream that comes from every active system that includes both a service contract and, um, and a disposable use per procedure. And is your sale a hardware and software sale? So our robotic system is, I mean, that's one of the complexities and uh, beauties of robotic systems and, and one of the large competitive modes is that in order for a robotic system to work well, you need this, uh, this kind of convergence of multiple technologies to all work seamlessly together. You need macro hardware, you need micro instruments, you need control software, you need user interface software, and, and getting that all to work well together is a, is a major undertaking. I think that's why it's been so difficult for even very large companies like Medtronic or Johnson & Johnson to compete against, against intuitive surgical and to come out with competitive systems. So, um, so we sell a robotic system. It, it has macro hardware to it, uh, but it also has obviously the, all the control software and all the user interface software that allows, allows it to actually run. Um, we do provide kind of software updates uh, typically once or twice a year, and that increases the functionality. It provides kind of better clinical uh, care uh, through those through those updates. So, uh, so we do have kind of software, but the software is provided kind of uh, um, as part of the the ongoing service contract. So we don't charge for those. And how about training? How hard is it for a doc to get up to speed on this? It actually really depends. You'll have, uh, we started a robotic fellowship program where we're teaching electrophysiologists that's, um, electrophysiology is a subset of interventional cardiology. Uh, it's, it's cardiologists who are really focused on the electrical signals going through the heart. Those are the types of physicians that would do our type of procedure to treat, uh, to treat heart arrhythmias. Um, so we, we started a robotic electrophysiology fellowship program and we're training young fellows. Um, we have almost 50 of them uh, enrolled at over 20 hospitals now and some of them will get on our system and the first time they start to use it they just say wow that's so intuitive this is such a smarter better way of moving a catheter you're not having to kind of to guess what motion at the handle causes motion at the tip you're really controlling the tip where the therapy takes place directly at the tip and it makes so much sense and that kind of uh, you see really really quick learning curves from some of them and then sometimes you'll have a physician and when they perform manual procedures they have to hold the catheter the handle 
with a, in a really specific way. And so they have to kind of control the motion in their fingers and their hands and their arms and their shoulders in a very specific way to control the catheter. And what you'll see is that they sit down behind our computer. All they have to do is move a mouse with very small motions in order to, to drive the catheter. And yet you'll see their shoulders doing little dances throughout the procedure because it's, it's hard to lose that muscle memory. And so, um, so the learning curve can really kind of fluctuate from, from kind of very, very few procedures to, to dozens. Uh, typically what we suggest is about a 15-procedure uh, uh, kind of um, uh, bolus up front to get up a learning curve. And, and then how are you... What's your go-to-market strategy? Are you selling direct to the hospitals, or do you have a partner? Or can you tell us a little bit about yes, that? Yes, we're direct globally. Uh, there's a, some geographies where we have uh, where we use a distributor, but in all the major de- geographies, we're direct, um, and we we have both. Uh, a sales effort that is now being built up towards uh, towards capital sales and uh, and starting more more new robotic labs, and then we have kind of a larger sales team that is focused on clinical adoption and working with our existing robotic labs to make sure that they have successful uh, practices. And what's the average sale price? So, so like I mentioned briefly before, we typically sell a robotic system for kind of the mid um, mid one million dollars range, one to two million dollar range. Um, now that we also offer a full robotic suite, um, which means also kind of a tightly integrated uh, fluoroscopy solution, X-ray, um, uh, a kind of operating table, a boom, the large screen displays uh, that go along now with our robotic system, that's, uh, that, that takes it a little bit higher. Okay. And uh, if I look out over the next 12 months, are there any specific events or catalysts that can, that can help us, or, or what should we watch for? Sure. So I think kind of the big drivers of growth over the coming years, um, and kind of I've talked about it in terms of these uh, waves of growth. Uh, the first is uh, really a resurrection of um, of robust capital system sales uh, for stereotaxis. So right now, the vast majority of our revenue uh, is is recurring revenue. Uh, the disposables used each procedure and the service contracts on our installed base. Um, stereotaxis had not changed, even though it's a highly elegant differentiated approach and robotic system, uh, it has not actually meaningfully improved the robotic system for many, many years. And, um, and so there's, there, there was kind of a cognitive dissonance there when you're trying to sell robots, uh, which are futuristic and, and really kind of advanced technology, and this is the future of medicine, you should adopt robotics, and yet the robotic system hadn't been improved. We made kind of a major leap forward in the technology uh, earlier this year when we announced our, our Genesis system. And, um, and we received CEMARC approval for that, and we're now working with FDA uh, to receive uh, FDA approval for the system. And, and so upon uh, receiving FDA approval, we will commence a, a more robust launch of the technology, and we believe that that's going to start a, a, a real kind of return to system revenue uh, for stereotaxis. So having that FDA approval in hand will be a, will be a great milestone, um, and then starting to show uh, a return to consistent, robust system sales will also be a real milestone. 
Okay. Um, anything I should have asked that, that I didn't? Well, af- after uh, the system sale, just kind of that's that's the first wave really of growth. Uh, the the second big wave that we're excited about, and that were uh, that also I would expect milestones over the coming kind of year, is um is that currently we make a little bit more than a thousand dollars per procedure from our disposable, but we actually um, only capture a tiny royalty. Uh, from the main disposable that's used in each of these procedures, which is the ablation catheter. And, um, and so Stereotexas is developing a next-generation ablation catheter. It, uh, it, it is designed to improve clinical care. It's designed to improve the physician experience. But it also allows us to now, uh, to now participate in, the much, in a much more robust way in the disposable revenue that, that uh, is generated from every procedure. Uh, we're working with uh, a company based out of Germany uh, called Osipka that has uh, significant experience and expertise and an infrastructure in catheter development and catheter manufacturing. And we're working on a next-generation proprietary catheter for stereotaxis. Um, that, I, I believe that it's, it's reasonable that we will uh, have our first clinical cases, uh, clinical commercial cases, uh, towards the end of next year in 2020. And um, and that would uh, would more than double our our disposable revenue. So that's really kind of the second uh, wave of growth that we expect um, in the coming years. But there there should definitely be milestones over the next 12 months. So are you constrained at all in that growth in terms of uh, manufacturing, or if the adoption comes faster, can you produce? So from a system side, we do all the assembly of all the robots, 1,000-plus components and uh, you know, from 100-plus suppliers. We do that all in-house here in St. Louis. And, um, and we have the ability to, uh, with, with some perhaps uh, incremental hiring of, many, of assembly staff, we would be able to, to assemble a few dozen of them uh, here in-house. So I, I think we're well-suited uh, to, to kind of to handle that demand, at least for the next couple of years. Um, on the catheter side, that was one of the reasons why we, uh, we entered into a collaboration with a company like Osipka. They have um, tens of millions of dollars of, of infrastructure in catheter manufacturing, and they have two facilities and the ability to really manufacture uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands, of catheters a year. Great. So you're, you're in a very exciting uh, and interesting space. Uh, and I thank you for that. Before we go, anything you want to leave us with? No, I I think kind of medicine is a fascinating field. If you uh, the more you learn about electrophysiology, it's it's really one of the most uh, exciting and futuristic fields of medicine. And we are advancing it and transforming it with a uh, with a very elegant uh, futuristic um, technology. The beauty of our technology is that it has significant real-world validation, so you can be comfortable with due diligence that it works well in the real world at dozens and dozens of hospitals on a daily basis. And, um, and the clinical data is as good as it gets. Um, one of the things that drew me to the company as, as an investor and, um, and that I hope draws other investors is, is the clinical data. I have no doubt that if, uh, if, God forbid, any of our family members or ourselves had to be treated uh, with, uh, with just this type of surgery, this would be the, the therapy we would opt for. So um, those are two things that uh, we didn't touch too much upon, but uh, I think are important to, to mention. Good, good. Well, David, uh, thank you so much, and continued success. Thank you very much.